Greetings, and thanks for tuning in to the Hooks Baseball Podcast. This is Michael Coffin speaking, and this week at Whataburger Field, we had a chance to meet with Astros' right-handed pitching prospect, a hard thrower, Sean Dubin, who is working out as a member of the Astros' player pool here at Whataburger Field. Also on the docket, a conversation with CCISD Superintendent Dr. Roland Hernandez. Dr. Hernandez discusses reopening schools and the resumption of athletics during this pandemic. But first, Astros AAA manager Mickey Story, who led the Round Rock Express to 84 wins and a trip to the PCL Finals last year in just his second season as a minor league skipper. 34 years old, Story pitched nine seasons in professional baseball, including the 2012 campaign when the right-hander logged a 3.86 earn run average in 26 appearances for Houston. To begin the convo, we asked Mickey Story about his assessment of the Astros' alternate training site, how it's ran in terms of keeping guys sharp while also ensuring the players and staff remain safe. The number one thing was to stay healthy, and, you know, we, we've got into a place where, you know, the testing has worked out well and the, the results are coming back quick. And, you know, we're, not that we're, you know, naive to being comfortable, but we're a little more comfortable near the end of this thing, um, getting on the field and kind of our day-to-day, how... You know, at first when we reported to the restart was very, very different than what we're all accustomed to. Um, but I think it's been great. Honestly, these guys have gotten so much work in. Um, I know I know there's not a lot of info, you know, to the rest of the world, what actually goes on at the alternate site. But it's, you know, it's, it's a full day. You know, it's a, li- a little mix of spring training, you know, mixed with regular season where you're getting guys for early work every single day. You're getting your team defense the best you can with as many guys you got. They're getting plenty of hitting in. Um, and then we play the inner squad, which is, you know, mostly gauged around the pitching because whatever, you know, we can only play as long as we can pitch. Um, so that's been, you know, that's, day, that's a day-to-day thing, um, especially with the flexibility of the big league roster needing guys and to have guys fresh and ready. Um, but overall, I think it's gone really well. We've made the best out of a tough, tough situation. The staff's been incredible. Um, the players have embraced it. I mean, you know, they, we were all sitting on our couches praying that we were able to play baseball, and I think every one of us is, is more than thrilled that we were able to, to do what we could and, and get out here. And, and just the opportunity to get on the field every day has been what it's all about. What are some of the advantages that, that you guys have right now with the alternate training site schedule as opposed to during the regular season? Yeah, I mean, you take away the, the real game. You take away, you know, the, the ups and downs of a win and a loss, um, and you can really focus on – you know, sharpening guys' tools um, and, and really the, the coach-to-player ratio, just the intimate time we have with these guys. Like right now we have, we, I mean, we had, a day ago we had seven position players total. So we're really able to, with all the coaches we have, get a lot going, um, you know, experiment with some drills, experiment with some um, different things on the hitting side and, and really find, find that time to, to really beat down um, goals and, and make guys better. Um, because you don't have the game at night crushing down on you, you right. know. During the season, you're so caught up in your routine, and you know you do the best you can to keep guys sharp. But you still got that game, and it's it's a, it's a switch. You got to flip the switch for the game. You know, guys drag during the season. I mean, guys are dragging a little bit here, but it's a little bit different. Where you know it's not affecting their their stats. 
they're really able to focus on development. Do you find that they're more open to trying new things, these position players in particular, because you know the stats aren't being recorded and they're not they're not having to deliver results each and every night? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I speak, you know, the Astros organization, we got, we got tremendous players and, and tremendously open-minded players and, and staff to go along with it. So these guys are, these guys are really, really focusing on what they need. Um, and as a staff, we focus on what they need to, to really get them over to hump. Um, and like you said, here we have plenty of time to do it and a ton of opportunity. You know, guys are sometimes headed to try new things because it might affect, you know, an at-bat. You know, it might affect one rep in the field. But here it's it, it, it relieves you a little bit of that pressure of, you know, I can't make an error in this game trying this new thing. I can't strike out in this at-bat trying this new thing. You know, they're inner squads. We run them as sharp as we can, but it's still – it's not that MILB.com stat line, right. you know, that, that, that's going to be on the back of their baseball card. So, yeah, it, it definitely is something where the guys are a little more open to try things. You mentioned that you can only go as, as long as your pitching can go. That has forced you to get back out there on the mound. And a couple of weeks ago, you dealt, man. Were, yeah. you, were you flashing back to your time? You know, I was a little disappointed. Everyone said I threw really well. I walked, I walked two guys, I think, in the, in the two innings I had, which – You retired the first seven or eight, though. Yeah, I did. I had a strikeout in there, too. Don't forget about that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, my command was a little off, but I haven't, I haven't thrown a competitive pitch off a 60-foot mound in, since I played. So it was one of those things where we had talked about it when we were at the restart in Houston um, – how are we going to get these guys game at bats, game at bats, you know, with pitching kind of not kind of being up in the air on a daily basis. And everyone's like, Hey, can you, would you pitch? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, That's awesome. I, I was like, I got to get in shape obviously. And now you throw BP during the regular year, yeah, right? Every Cause day. you see a lot yep. of pitchers that, that don't, they don't want to throw BP or I guess, I guess that they're, they don't have good BP to throw because their stuff's moving. Constantly yeah. All yeah. The time. That, I mean, throwing BP is a whole different monster. It's not for everybody. Um, it just seems, you know, being an ex pitcher and being somebody who throws BP every single day, there is somewhat of a change in, I mean, you go from being a pitcher and you're throwing every ball as hard as you can. Yeah. And you're trying to miss, you're trying bats. to miss bats. You're trying to, you know, and then you, some guys cut, some guys sink, you know, and it's, it's more so the arm speed that, that it seems like ex pitchers have a hard time slowing down. Um, I think the advantage is I have a son I throw to all the time, so I, I can slow the arm down. and It's one of those things I actually enjoy it. Um, the more I'm on the field, the better, personally. I like being out there hitting fungos. I love throwing BP. Um, and getting a, a ton of opportunity to play defense at this point. Yeah, you were at third base today and yeah. left field today as well. What, I, I'm sure the rest of the field staff has just been very excited just to, to get out there and, and to, to catch some fly balls and to, and to handle some hot shots on the ground as well. Yeah, I mean – I can't thank these guys enough. You know, as, as the guy, I'm, I'm in charge of the lineup every day and kind of piecing together who's playing where, who gets reps where. And, I mean, that goes for the coaches too. So, I mean, I take pride in finding guys who can really, you know, Mike Myers killed us a little bit early on, one of our strength coaches. And I had to tell him, I go, I can't, ha I can't have you in the lineup oh if you're not going to, like, at least make some plays. That's great. Um, but, you know, having Sushil sure here and, well. and myself and, uh, and Lamonskin and, and, geez, how can I say it? Kanzler, Kanzler's, you know. That guy's a bit of a show-off, I yeah, think, a little, yeah. he, t he times a couple dives. Uh -huh. but um, He plays pretty shallow Yeah, as he well. plays really shallow, and, yeah, he definitely um, – but those guys have bailed us out big time. I mean, I told everyone, I said, I'll, I'll, you don't really need me to manage a inner squad. I will play defense every inning to help this out. Um, and early on, it was, it was really just me and a couple others that had to do it, but lately it's been with, with the – the amount of position players we've had, we've all had to play both sides of defense for, you know, three, four innings a day. Um, and, you know, 
not bad for a bunch of old guys. You, you bring up Vladimir Sutil, a fan favorite around here. He was fantastic to watch during his days yeah. with the Hooks. What's it been like working with him on a regular basis? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Sutil's a fan favorite or a human favorite. He's <laughs> he's a lovable guy. Um, big smile every single day. One of the best workers I've ever been around. I played against Sutil in this league when he was here. I remember him. We we've joked about it. We've talked about it for years. Uh, He's phenomenal. He, he's he's the guy you want on every coaching staff because he'll do whatever he needs to do. Um, he, we we work together well. We both like to be on the field. Um, we we switch off hitting fungos. We we both throw BP every day. We play defense. We enjoy. It. We just enjoy the game and working with Sudi and being around Sutils is is a treasure. Let's go back to last year with the, the Express. 84 wins. Uh, first time Round Rock was back in the playoffs since 2015. And, of course, last year was the first year with back in the Astros system. What stands out to you most about that Express Club last season? Oh, man, um, a very, very talented, consistent, confident bunch of guys. Um, we knew we had a really good AAA team returning. Um, we knew that we would ultimately win a lot of games. Um, but the biggest thing was the amount of work we put in to get guys over to hump, to get guys like Jack Mayfield to the big leagues, to get guys like Garrett Stubbs, to have Jordan Alvarez, you know, flourish there. Um, Kyle Tucker to have a 30-30 season. I mean, Josh Rojas. I, I could go on and on. We had so many guys debut that, you know, I'm not saying they wouldn't have been in the past, but we, we really put in a lot of work. We, we changed some things up. Um, the team really dedicated themselves to developing, um, and, and, it, and it definitely showed on the field. It almost felt like what we prepared ourselves so well that the games were you know, not that they were easy, but it was just we're just doing what we got, you know, like we're good. We know we're good. And, and guys, you know, it's only a matter of time for they move on to the big leagues. And we had quite a few of them last year for Kyle Tucker in particular, that that success is now translating to the big leagues. What are you seeing? And is it bats right now when you watch it on TV? Oh, man, I'm seeing the guy I've seen for, you know, the last three, four years. Uh, this guy is extremely talented. Um, he had some some peaks and valleys with us last year, and he still turned out a 30 30 season. Um, there's nobody, there's nobody better when Kyle's going good. He is, when he's hot, you can see it in his demeanor. You can see it in his swing. You can see it as an approach. Um, and it's, it's exciting. He's, he's a very, very exciting player. I think he doesn't get enough credit for his instincts on the baseball field. Um, I, we, we see him steal bases, and, and I've seen the guys steal third base, steal second base, steal home, bunt, um, and obviously hit the ball out of the ballpark and hit balls really hard in the gaps. He's a good defender. He's a good runner. Um, Kyle's, a, Kyle's a phenomenal talent. And I think the, the, the world's getting to see it now instead of hearing about it, where, you, where in the minor leagues you hear about guys, in the big leagues you, you see it on the, the big stage. Well, we mentioned last year with Round Rock 84 wins. In your first year as skipper with Quad Cities in 2018, 81 victories. And that was just your second year as a coach. You were a development coach with Bowie's Creek in 17, working with Omar Lopez, former Hooks manager. Was your path to coaching a clear one? Did you know right away after you got done pitching that you wanted to be a coach? I, yeah, I, I knew well before that. I knew that when I was a kid. Um, obviously, I, we, all, we all dream to play in the big leagues. We all dream to play till we're 45 years old, you know, and then have a Hall of Fame career. Um, that doesn't happen for everyone. Clearly didn't happen for me. But it was something I knew all along I wanted to coach. I, big leaguer, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I short. checked that box, got to the big leagues, pitching the big leagues. Um, very proud of it. But, you know, the – the thing I hang my hat on is the relationship I make with these players as a manager, as a coach, um, and, and helping these guys achieve what I achieved, uh, and hopefully they achieve for much longer. Um, it's something I had 
thought about when I was a kid, you know, writing in lineups of games I watched on TV and, you know, paying attention to details. And, and like you mentioned, Omar Lopez, I got to, I was very, very fortunate to work with Omar for one season. And um, that was, that was really all I needed. I learned so much from Omar and picked his brain and, and kind of learned the, you know, the things I didn't know about coaching and learned the things I needed to know about managing through Omar. So I owe, I owe a great deal of credit to Omar for, for having me and embracing me and, and teaching me a whole lot. Was there any consideration for you to become a pitching coach or did you want to be a skipper in some form or fashion? Yeah, I think, I think the obvious, and I, and I still get this question to this day, how come you're not a pitching coach? And, and the honest answer is because I didn't want to be. I wanted to be a manager. I, I took a lot of pride in, in – in, and not that there's anything wrong with pitching, but sure. when you're a pitching coach, you, you're coaching pitching. Right. You basically have a, rela- a strong bond with your pitchers, um, and you got one area. I wanted to kind of blanket the whole game because I really enjoy baseball. I really enjoy being in a lot of areas. I love getting out there with the defense and, and doing things with them. And, and obviously I have you know, a fair share of um, dialogue with the pitchers and work with the pitchers as well. So managing was something I thought suited me well, um, personality-wise, um, diligence-wise, attention to detail-wise. I just, you know, it was something that kind of spoke out to me really quickly. The, the only thing was, would, would somebody give me the opportunity? Because, you know, pitch, pitchers get that, you know, that, that rap that, oh, you're just going to be a pitcher coach when you're done because you pitched and you don't really know anything. You know, I wanted, I wanted to let people know that just because I pitched doesn't mean I don't know the game, doesn't mean I can't, you know, excel. There's, there's a few in the big leagues, Bud Black, you know, a couple guys, Callaway was doing it. Yeah, there's not a lot of them, but, you know, I hope to break that mold with those guys and, and, and show, the, show, show baseball world that, you know, former pitchers can, can manage a game. Is there, is there one or two things that stand out to you that you have learned since your, since your last game was Somerset in 2016, since you've been coaching here in the Astros system, that, that really has informed you as the, as the manager that you are today? Oh, man, I could write a book on the things I've learned. My goodness, you go from being a player. Just where, give me like one big thing. Yeah, one, one you go from big... being a player where you just worry about, you know, yourself and the game and the team, and then, you know, you go to be a coach, and it's completely an unselfish position. You're, you're there for the players, and you're there for them to really, you know, play the game and get better, um, and it's your job to, to put those, those pieces in place. I'll tell you what, the one thing I learned – you know, jumping levels as, as an A-ball uh, coach, A-ball manager to AAA was to, when the, game, when the game starts, let the guys play. Don't overmanage. Um, manage the situations that, that jump out at you. Don't, don't go searching for plays. Don't go searching for things to do. Don't, don't overdo it. Um, and I think it, it, that was something I learned um, probably midway through my, my second year or my first year managing in Quad Cities was that, like, you don't have to prove to everybody that you're managing a great game. Um, you basically need to manage the game. Whatever, whatever pops out and it's a time, maybe you take your shot. But don't overdo it. And most importantly, build relationships with your players and communicate, communicate, communicate. You mentioned earlier how you know, it's tough for folks to track what's happening at the alternate site. We don't have any stats for the inter-squad games that are happening. Can you kind of give us a rundown on some of the guys and, and the strides that they're making? Who's impressed you in terms of their progress from, you know, when spring training 2.0 started to, to where we are today? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, quite a few of these guys I'm extremely comfortable with. I had a ton of them in Round Rock. I've had them, I've had them throughout the years. But, I mean, when we're talking about most improved and who, who's benefited greatly from this, Jake Myers comes to mind right away. We, we knew this guy was a, a good athlete. We knew he was a really good outfielder. Um, but he's really hitting. Like he is really, really hitting, and I wish, I wish there was more 
people that were able to see that. Uh, like you said, there's no stats, there's not a ton of video, but he's he's really he's really smashing the ball. Nick Tanelu was having a phenomenal camp before he went to be on the taxi squad recently. You know, Dubin just got just got active and he's throwing. He's pretty impressive for a young guy that I didn't know. You know, Dagoti's Dagoti's he's solid player, getting better every single day. We're 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 you know chipping away at things to improve him on defense and range and and things like that. But like I, like we spoke about early, it this this camp has benefited these guys greatly. Um, just to be able to get out and and play this year, get something out of it, and in the environment we that we've created um, has really got these guys to to raise their games, raise their games, and 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 own their skills. So it's it's been a it's a, it's been a good camp. You mentioned the young pitchers, and you look at the big leagues and all the rookies that have made an impact on the big league roster this year. The the latest uh, Luis Garcia making his big league debut. Have you have you ever seen anything quite like this? Yeah, I had these guys in Quad Cities two <laughs> years ago. We, and it, I don't know if you, you remember, but we we set a record for minor league baseball most strikeouts. Yeah. I mean, I had a pitching staff in Quad Cities. There was Anoli Paredes. Luis Garcia, literally every one of these yeah. guys, you know, mixed in with Patrick Sandoval, who's in the big leagues, mixed in with Chad Donato, who's not here, but was really, really good. Christian Javier literally had all these guys. I knew they were really good. They probably might not have got there this year pending a regular season, but they're there, and, I mean, they're really showcasing their skills. So I knew they were good. A lot of us knew they were good. It just it got expedited quite a bit. What do you miss the most about the regular season, about a regular season? Personally, the fans, the game, my family, <laughs> it not being so easy to uh, accommodate family travel yeah. and um, the little things, having my son around the, the team, being in a clubhouse. But, I mean, obviously, most, mostly the, you know, the 705 start with, you know, 10,000 people in Round Rock, you know, and, and something on it. You that's, know what I that's mean? That's a nice thing to get used it, to. It really right is. It's, 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 it's the best. Um, and, and, again, like I, like I just said, ha- Having something on it, you know, like like inter squad is great, practice is great, but to play and compete and to say I won and you lost at the end of the day, that's that's kind of what it's all about when you're in sports. Well, we you know the the guys that are here are getting some great instruction as you talked about, but the but the players that didn't make that 60 man pool, have you had a chance to to stay connected with some of those guys? I mean, this must be a difficult process for them just to stay ready and 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 try and look forward to next season without having some organized baseball. Yeah, a few of them. Um, I do my best to communicate with the guys the best I can. I mean, like like I mentioned, quite quite a few of them are, are guys I have and they're here. Um, but there are guys that are at home, and 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 I I talked to a ton of them when we were all quarantined and we all had no idea what was going to happen. That it's a very it's a very very scary time for minor leaguers. We we don't know um, a whole lot. We don't know what level is going to be where. We don't know what affiliate's going to be with who. Not to mention you throw a pandemic into the mix and you cancel a season. So. You know, the best they can do is stay in shape, stay ready, think about the game the most they can, and, 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 and realize that, you know, just like them for anyone, it can be taken away at any moment. You know, it, it completely relates to, to an injury. You never know when it's over, and you cherish, you know, minor league players and players in general complain on a daily basis about, you know, little things. And it's just what we were accustomed to. I think next year, uh, pending everything's good again, that, that guys will have a greater appreciation for our day-in, day-out life. No complaining about bus rides next no, year. No, <laughs> no, I'd love to get on a bus right now and drive to California. <laughs> Astros AAA manager Mickey Story. Mickey, thank you very much for the time. Anytime, Mike. Up next on the Hooks Baseball Podcast, Astros right-handed pitching prospect Sean Dubin, the 25-year-old out of Allegheny, New York, 
was a 13th round pick in 2018 from Georgetown College in Kentucky. Dubin was an NAIA All-Star, an intriguing journey for him through the college ranks. We'll hear more about that in a minute. But last season for Dubin, a 7-5 and record, a 3.5 earn run average at low-A Quad Cities and high-A Fayetteville. He averaged nearly 12.5 strikeouts per nine, and overall the uh, 151 Ks ranked fourth in the Astro system. Also, his uh, 19 starts slotted fourth as well for Sean Dubin. He posted some outstanding performances last year, one in particular August the 21st for Fayetteville when he spun five no-hit frames. Here is Sean Dubin from Whataburger Field. What's this experience been like for you as a member of the player pool here at the alternate training site? Um, it's been pretty awesome, honestly. It's, uh, it's just a privilege to be here. Um, you know, obviously finishing the season in high A last year, you know, um, you always anticipate, or not anticipate, but you always expect to, uh, you know, get that call. But there's a lot of guys ahead of you at the same time at the double A AA and triple A level. So um, just being able to get that opportunity was pretty special. What was your reaction when you first found out you were going to be a member of the player pool? Um, initial reaction was just excitement. You know, I was around my family back home um, when I broke the news to them. So, uh, you know, it, it was cool to be able to share that moment with them. Tell us about your family and, and your hometown. Uh, so I'm from Allegheny, New York. Uh, it's a small town in western New York, um, about an hour outside of Buffalo. Um, Family-wise, they've always been supportive in uh, this crazy journey that I've had so far, you know, and um, it's just been nice to have behind me. So, first of all, just some glittering numbers last year, over 12 strikeouts per nine, and you also kept the walks down as well, pitching between, as you said, uh, Quad Cities and, and Fayetteville and High A. Can you, can you describe your, your pitch arsenal and, and how you like to attack hitters? Um, from arsenal-wise, um, did a lot of work with my slider last year. You know, finally came around late, made uh, some adjustments to it throughout the season, and um, finally got to click at the right time. Um, as far as attacking hitters, you know, I just like to be aggressive. You know, get them on edge a little bit early get them in on the their bat. Heels. You know, make it an, an uncomfortable. So, um, you know, just attack right out of the gate. Now, on the on the media guide that I have, it says you're six one one fifty four. That doesn't look right. No, what? yeah. So, like I said, when I first got drafted, um, I came in. I was really thin coming out of college, uh, kind of a late bloomer. But um, as I've been at the Astros for the past couple of years, you know, they've done a lot of work with me and really gotten me to start to fill out a little bit and you know hopefully we could keep going what's paid off for you in that department in terms of strength and conditioning that that really has enabled you to to turn the corner a little bit i think just uh, a power you know just increase in power but at the same time being able to keep that flexibility that i have when i pitch um you know putting getting a little bit more mass on me has helped my velocity go up a little bit so um just trying to find that balance between flexibility and power you mentioned your, your velo, you hit 97, is that about right? Yeah. There about? Yeah. How, where, where does that power come from? Because, I mean, you know, even with the added added weight, you're still a, a, a huge guy. Mm -hmm. um, I think just twitchy arm, you know, uh, quick arm, and just really been trying to hone in my mechanics since the Astros, Astros have gotten me. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've done a ton of work on it, and, you know, I really have them to thank for that. What was the big difference for you last year in terms of all that success you know, getting from, from low A to high A and then being a member of the player pool, obviously what you did stood out. How did you achieve those results? Um, I think just adjusting to the environment, you know. Um, I was used to bouncing around different places, you know, so you always kind of have that guard up and you're a little insecure. Um, 
But as the confidence, you know, got higher, I really started to feel like myself and, you know, just getting to know all the guys in the system, you know, they really make it easy for you to progress. And, um, you know, I just kind of took it around with it. Chatting with Astros right-hander Sean Dubin, you, you mentioned all the guys in, in the clubhouse, in, in Fayetteville in particular, uh, guys like uh, Christian Javier, Noli Paredes, Luis Garcia, uh, guys that are making an impact right now in the big leagues. When, when you looked around that clubhouse last year at Fayetteville, did you kind of realize the collection of talent that was around you? Yeah, so um, early on, you know, you got a little taste of it. And then as the season kind of progressed, like we saw the, the staff start to form into, you know, what it is now. And, uh, you know, just going up against those guys every day, it's, it's awesome. You know, um, they're all phenomenal pitchers and they really make it challenging, you know, going back and forth every day fighting for those spots and that's how you see the true progression come out and, you know, really test your, see what you got. You, you faced uh, A-ball hitters last year and, and now here at the alternate site and even, you know, during spring training, you're facing guys who, you know, big league time, uh, established AAA guys. What's the difference in terms of facing those hitters that you've noticed in, in your brief time here? Um, you try not to let it you know affect you too much on the mound you just try to do you but I mean at the same time it's it's a really cool experience you know you're pitching against guys that have experience in the league and you know they've seen some of the best guys out there so you just have to really be confident in your your abilities and your pitches and just go out there and do what you do. Tell us about your story in terms of your collegiate career you, you bounced around quite a bit. Yeah yeah so uh, I went to one jun junior college uh, JCC for a semester um, it didn't work out took classes from home and then uh, I worked for Lowe's for about six months, and then I got offered uh, a chance to come try out for another JUCO back home, and that's kind of where it all began. I uh, threw pretty well there, and then I went to the University of Buffalo for two years, and then they cut their program going into my last year. So I had to drop to the NAIA, and uh, luckily, you know, I had a really good pitching coach there, and uh, everything just kind of took off and, you know, clicked. That must have been a, a tough experience when, when you do so well at the University of Buffalo and they cut the program. How did you hear the news and what was what was your initial reaction? It was pretty crazy how we heard the news. Um, so we had just finished like the first month of the season, our trip down south. We were uh, just getting back from our first conference series against Kent State and it's like 10, 10 o'clock at night on the bus and we all get a text saying to meet in the auditorium on, on campus. And uh, it was us and three other teams that got cut. And I guess they had a simultaneous meeting with all the other teams that weren't getting cut. So it was a interesting situation for sure. But uh, you know, it all it all worked out the way the way that it did. That type of adversity. How do you think that that's that's informed you as a person right now and as a pitcher as well? I think it's made me easier to made it easier to adapt to you know tough situations like this. You know, when you everything's been a journey so far it's been crazy so I mean who's to say that this is any different so uh, if anything it's motivating and just keeps me pushing forward you mentioned the pitching coach at Georgetown who was your pitching coach and what what was it about his message that, that really helped you out uh, it was actually Michael Baumfeld he's the head coach as well he works with the pitchers um, but he just me and him just clicked as soon as we you know we kind of met each other he got to hit it off a little bit and uh you know, he, he saw something in me, and I just, you know, it was my last year, and I didn't really have any other options, so I just trusted him with everything, you know, put, you know, my faith in his hands, and, uh, you know, it all worked out. Well, I, I think the, the first draft pick out of Georgetown mm -hmm. uh, in 21 years, an NAI All-American after, after that run there at Georgetown. What was, the, uh, what was the, the lead up to the draft? Did you know the Astros were eyeing you? I did. Um, 
I knew they were eyeing me. They were a little bit more low key about how they did things. Um, but as it, it came, tricky Astros. <laughs> as it came closer to uh, to draft day, you know, they started reaching out a little bit more. And then um, when I got that phone call about five minutes before I actually got picked, it was pretty crazy. You know, you're anticipating your name, and uh, obviously anything can happen. So I'm just grateful. What was the reaction? I mean, was it was it joy? A little sad? What well, I mean, I it guess was, a, a mix it was of a everything, mix, right? A mix of everything. Yeah, it was joy. You know, um, just overcome with the emotion. It was uh, especially the journey that you went on. You know, it just was uh, reassuring to know that it was all worth it. Well, and, and the journey always continues, as you well know. And this has been a, a crazy year with the pandemic and and uh, and, and folks having to, to isolate and and just be at the ballpark and, and at the hotel. Uh, how have you adapted to that to that lifestyle? You guys have always been, you know, creatures of the road and moving around. You really haven't had that that luxury this year. Yeah, um, you know, you kind of get used to hotels. Um, the hotel beds are unlike any other. You know, you sleep like uh, a baby in those. But uh, the blackout curtains are nice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, like you said, like we we do a lot of traveling. Um, and for me, I just like being down in the warm weather, you know, away from back up in the snow, cold in New York. Um, so I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. What's it like to work with Astros pitching coordinator Bill Murphy? It's a crazy experience. I mean, he's so intellectual about everything. Um, you know, he, he attacks things in different ways and puts them in perspective for you. And he just makes it really easy to, you know, give examples on how to adjust to different situations or if it's mechanical, you know, like he... He just knows how to communicate with the players very well. In terms of that next step for you, what are you what are you working on to, to get to the next level and, and compete in the big leagues? Um, just a little bit of consistency right now. I feel like I have the tools, like the the foundation I need, and now it's just a matter of perfecting it, you know, and just getting the control of all the pitches and being able to consistently fill up the strike zone. Astros right-hander Sean Dubin. Sean, thank you very much for the time. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Our closer this week, CCISD Superintendent Dr. Roland Hernandez. Students are being phased back into the classroom for in-person instruction as high school athletics has returned to the Coastal Bend. Here's Dr. Roland Hernandez on the Hooks Baseball Podcast. I think the, overall the process has gone really well. We started August 13th with 100% uh, virtual learning, and uh, it was just nice to get back in touch with our students and our staff. Uh, at that time, we were really just trying to make sure our students were getting registered and uh, into the system and starting to make those daily contacts with the families to decide either way uh, that when we did start face-to-face -face class, which was September 8th, this past Tuesday, uh, we would have a better idea of what to expect. And so uh, over time, that has continued to get better. We started classes face-to-face -face on Tuesday with 25%, which is phase one, 25% of the students that responded that they would be coming back for face-to-face. -face. And so far so good this week, um, I would say that it was a good move. Uh, the numbers have been really great to work with. You're, it's not overwhelming for our administrators and teachers on the campus with the number of students that have returned. It gives us a good chance for two weeks to study our systems and our procedures what's working, what's not working, tweak it any way we can, and then we'll open up to phase two, which is 50%. Um, we're lucky that uh, we did get a year-round calendar in place this year. So we'll have a full week of intercession, the week of the 28th. 
So that'll give us a week after three weeks of being open face-to-face -to, -face to reassess how we're doing, what's working, what's not working. And October 5th, we'll have 100% of those students who preferred the face-to-face -face instructional delivery. And uh, so the good thing is, is that since Tuesday to now, with the news coverage and the families who have returned, I think there's just a lot of conversation out in our community. Uh, what what they're feeling, what they're sharing, and we've had many families call and ask how they could get their students back into the face-to-face -face approach uh, rather than the virtual learning. And so uh, our administrators are working with those families, letting them know if they'll return in phase two or phase three. Uh, but I think it's gone really well, really proud of our teachers and administrators and especially our students. This is something that you don't really get to practice at. You know, we haven't seen them since spring break, and now they're coming back into the schools, but uh, they're being very patient. They're following the new guidelines that are in place from how far they walk from one another with social distancing, keeping their mask on. Um, our bus transportation running these routes. Now we're doing double routes just to keep the numbers low on the buses. Uh, but I could, uh, I could say with confidence that uh, our team has done a really good job in putting those procedures in place and making this now part of the routine. And as these students start to phase in, um, it helps us have better numbers to work with and not be overwhelmed at one time. Well, let's, let's talk about that, that distance learning for a little bit. You guys had to shift to that in the spring. What lessons did you learn, you know, prior to the summer that has informed how you've approached that to start this school year? And are some of those technologies that you guys have utilized, is there a, a, a future for that in, in your face-to-face -face instruction? I mean, have you guys already been using some of this stuff anyway, as a matter of course? We have been using a lot of it even before the pandemic um, came about, uh, but not to the degree. And so uh, while we did have it available in our classrooms from school to school, in some cases, it's not uncommon for districts to do some distance learning, virtual learning. If you have a particular subject content areas that are hard to find teachers, uh, many times we make adjustments until we can find that kind of a teacher. You know, usually the third level of a foreign language or your high level physics and chemistries like that, uh, those are tough to find. And so when we do have teachers, we have before uh, had students zoom in from one school to that class period and be a part of that class. So what we had happen now with this pandemic is we had to completely shift over to a virtual learning environment. Uh, probably the biggest lesson is, um, you know, we weren't quite where we wanted to be technology-wise and uh, with the, the demand that we've had. So you don't realize until something like this really hits you, the need on who has devices, who doesn't, uh, who has Wi-Fi capabilities at their homes. And uh, so in the bigger picture as a district, uh, that was probably the, the quickest thing that we learned is just how much need there is out there in our community for technology. And uh, we've done a lot in a short period of time. Uh, we've had some great partnerships. You may have heard about our partnership with the city in uh, partnering with some uh, federal dollars to support the district in 
continue to in, in, uh, improve the number of devices that we have for our kids. And we're in a much better place now than we were when all of this started. And so now it just, it just tells us that we need to be more proactive and not let our guard down, continue to improve those systems, improve the number or increase the number of devices we have in the hands of our students so that they're able to do this if uh, we have to continue in this type of mode of, of uh, education. Speaking with CCISD Superintendent, Dr. Roland Hernandez. And uh, Dr. Hernandez, you already kind of outlined a few of the things that you're doing right now with, with the face-to-face -face learning, doubling the, the bus routes, phasing kids in. Uh, you know, cases are gonna pop up. It's just kind of the nature of, of, of the beast right now for where we are in the community. It's about confining those cases and making sure that it, they don't spread. What's the messaging to the parents right now and to the, and to the community at large in terms of what we need to do as parents and what you guys are doing to help prevent the spread of the virus in, in our schools? Yes, that's a great question and a great point to make. We, I think it's just so important that we cannot let our guard down. And you know, the more that we can get into some normalcy, I think people start to think that we're almost getting back to the normal routine, which we are not. Um, a lot of uh, the cases that we've reported from the CCISD numbers over the summer were situations that didn't even happen in our schools. There are things that are happening out in the community, uh, going to grocery stores, restaurants, anything that all of us are a part of every single day. But in the schools, as much as possible, we have our systems and procedures, and a lot of what we do needs to continue to be done outside of school. And so, you know, paying attention to who you're around and limiting where you're going and the number of people you're around, social distancing, keeping the mask on, symptoms, don't be... Um, don't be uh, someone that feels the symptoms but says nothing about it and then just thinks it's going to pass on its own. It's better to be safe than sorry. And, you know, we've, we continue to say if you're feeling uh, sick or not feeling well, stay home, you know, until you feel better. Uh, go get checked out by your doctor. And that goes for all of our students and our staff as well. And uh, I think that as long as we're, we're continuing to be very careful in, in how we approach every day with our teachers and our students, we're gonna be, we're gonna be fine. And you're right, there's, there's no guarantee that this, that this is not gonna be someone that doesn't test positive. But um, our situation is how we respond to that, making sure that the student is removed, that we're uh, deeply sanitizing our school areas, if not closing down particular classrooms and wings of a school before ultimately needing to close down a school entirely. Uh, just because one student may test positive doesn't mean that an entire school has to shut down, but there is a process. And I think that's the most important. And uh, when the questioning starts, if we have a, a possibly exposed student and then questioning the student as to who they may have been in close contact with, working with the health district, contacting those who may have had possible exposure. Those are the very key points that we as a school need to know so that we can continue to move forward with schools being open. I do wanna commend just how great a job our athletic coordinators and coaches and administrators have done. We've had our summer strength and conditioning going now on for, for a good while. 
and we've been fortunate that we've not had uh, serious cases to even deal with. Uh, we did have some numbers that were exposed with traveling teams that, that play these different tournaments in and around the state and country. Uh, but the coaches were really quick to say, you know, it's almost like a choice. If you're going to come to strength and conditioning, uh, you need to be here every day. If you're going to be traveling across the state and nation, uh, you might want to just not come to strength and conditioning because you're going to be so exposed to many different people. And uh, it went well. We had a good summer strength and conditioning program for all sports. Uh, we kept them outside for the most part, uh, doing all of their drills and conditioning. It, even our bands uh, were doing a great job in starting up the school year. So it really just, everybody has a part in this. And I think it, uh, depending on how we approach that is going to help us continue to be able to do what we need to do and slowly get ourselves back into our schools every day. It's amazing the heavy lifting that, that uh, Athletic Director Brenda Marshall is doing along with her staff. And you mentioned the other athletic coordinators around each school. And when I'm talking to the coaches, typical coaches, they're using this as a competitive advantage. As if we keep our ship running tight with everyone being responsible, we're going to have the edge on Fridays in terms of us being able to, to actually play. What's yes. the conversations been like between you and the coaches around the district in regard to that personal responsibility that they're asking their kids for each and every day? The communication has been really good and positive with all of our athletic coordinators. Brenda Marshall and her team do a wonderful job. Uh, there's nothing new there. Uh, and I'm fortunate to have a really close uh, relationship and daily communication almost with uh, all of our head coaches. I know what's going on in our schools. Um, I'm real quick to question if there's anything that comes up just so that we're all on the same page. And they've been very proactive and responsive. And uh, they're, they're paying close attention every single day. And that's what it's going to take uh, for us to continue. So I'm very proud of what they've been able to do in this type of situation. Uh, I believe they have the uh, full attention from their student athletes and have helped them understand the importance. Uh, we read about what's happening across the state and across the nation and um, we just don't want that to happen here and it's going to take them paying real close attention to, to helping us make that happen. Well, uh, the community is being presented, Dr. Hernandez, with a, a 2020 CCISD bond initiative to be voted on this November. What do we need to know about the bond uh, itself, the initiative in general, just a few headlines from, from what's being proposed? Yes, we're very excited about what we've been able to do in CCISD over the last several years. You know, dating back to 2008 and uh, every two to three years, we come out with a bond proposal. And this one is is a great package for our community. And again, everything that we're doing is for our students and families, not just those that are here now, but those that are here to come. Um, Corpus Christi is a great district. Our community is a beautiful city and is just continuing to grow. And so in assessing our schools over time, we learned that many of our schools are older, uh, 50 years or older. And many of them were built in a day when they had the outdoor wings. The kids are outside walking under covered walkways, still have window units. Over the last several years, we have addressed that. Uh, we've removed portables as much as possible. We've made our schools full indoor schools so that students are inside the buildings 
at all times. We've made them very safe, building safety vestibules in every single school we have. And we've put some really nice perimeter fencing around all of them. And this particular package that's coming out in November, it's for $136.2 million, but it's at no tax rate increase for our taxpayers. And that's always very important. And so with that, we'd be able to address for uh, new buildings, particularly at the elementary level, and then renovations will continue at uh, some of the high schools. Uh, but at the elementary level, with a lot of the growth that's taking place out on the south side, the schools that we have built out there, even if they are uh, uh, new, they're starting to reach their capacity. And so we're trying to stay ahead of that because we have to remember that whenever we do start to build a building, just like we're doing with the new Carroll High School in Saratoga, it's not something that's going to kick into place that next year. It's going to be something that takes two to three years down the road before we can even open the doors. And so um, staying ahead of where the growth is in the community and at the same time addressing very old facilities is uh, great for the district, great for our families and our kids and our teachers uh, in more state-of-the-art buildings. The buildings that are addressed in this package, the average age is 72 years old. Wow. And so um, there is a definite need uh, we've changed the landscape of Corpus Christi with our new beautiful schools, and there are still a few that we need to address. In this package, it will take care completely, uh, I believe, of the elementary schools that were still built that way back in the day, 50 plus years ago. And uh, at the same time, it's helping us um, become more efficient, not spending so many extra dollars on uh, energy hogs, as they call them, because they're just so old and hard to, to maintain. But when you stop and think about when you're running every day and you have schools that can cool a room and then students have to open the doors to the outside to change classrooms, all of that for nothing because there goes all your cool air out the building. Just describe my house, so <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, and then on the, and you know, we dealt with that. You know, I'm so happy for our Carroll community uh, because, you know, they've dealt with the elements. They're out in the rain, transition from class to class. When it's cold, they're out there in the cold. And so, um, you know, those schools were built that way for a reason back then. There were, there were no air conditions in school back 50 years ago. But uh, it's a new day. And the fact that we could do so much for our district and our city uh, at no tax rate increases is pretty incredible. And so we have everything to gain for our kids for the next 50, 60 years down the road, and then two to three years from now um, for improving their education and nothing to lose on that. So no, no we're excited about the package. Yeah, no tax rate increase, is that correct? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Early voting October 13th to the 30th and election day, of course, is November the 3rd. Doc, before we let you go, congratulations is, is in order one of five Texas public school educators to be selected as a state finalist as the uh, superintendent of the year. Uh, big time honors for you. What was your reaction when you learned of the nomination? Well, I could just say I was just very excited, very honored. Um, my feeling was not just an accomplishment on my part, but more of an accomplishment by our entire district. Uh, this is definitely not a one person uh, recognition or award. I've said that many times that it would be impossible without 
the great teachers that we have, our administrators, and especially our students and families. Our community has been so pro-education and supportive of what we've done. Our school board has been amazing. And uh, I, as superintendent, couldn't do what I need to do if I didn't have the support of our school board. So a total team effort, and uh, it's a great recognition for our school district and our city, and uh, just excited to be uh, even mentioned in the top five as Texas Superintendent of the Year. GCISD Superintendent, Dr. Roland Hernandez. Dr. Hernandez, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, that will do it for this installment of the Hooks Baseball Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guest, Dr. Roland Hernandez, CCISD Superintendent, Mickey Story, Astros AAA Manager, and Houston right-handed pitching prospect, Sean Dubin. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the Hooks Baseball Podcast at your favorite podcast outpost. For all of us at 734 Eastport Avenue, this is Michael Coffin saying so long.